up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. Now, infinitely more handsome thanks to the power of YouTube.com slash CBS Sports, where we will have videos of us talking on this podcast. Uh, it's a good sign when your voice is good enough for podcasts and your face is good enough for video. I'm Will Pinson. <laughs> I'm the host. <laughs> or like, you know, mediocre enough, right? That cackling voice you hear uh, is actually the most, uh, well, I'd say second most handsome member of this, uh, this group on this lovely evening. Brady Quinn, what's going on? Not a whole lot. I'm just waiting for uh, Ryan and I to get one of those maybe Vineyard Vines endorsements or something now that we're on YouTube, um, YouTube.com. I'm, I'm hoping at some point that happens for us because you sport it well and you sport it often. I may just, Ryan, wear only but Peter Millar shirts and, and hold up a giant Peter Millar sign, hoping that Peter Millar will seek me out and give me stuff and then be like, actually, we're really looking for slimmer models. But uh, maybe you could – maybe somebody from the beer catalog could talk to you. Yeah, no, I, I've known you for 12 years. I don't think I've ever seen you without wearing a golf shirt or a dress shirt, <laughs> definitely khakis, uh, the, the no sock moccasins. So yeah, this is what I expected and this is what we have. So got it. It is what it is, Brenton. For our regular podcast listeners, by the way, nothing changes here. We'll still have the show as normal. This is, this is a Brady Quinn football show. It's just that we happen to be in video and they happen to be recording it and putting on YouTube. If you want to see this show, if you want to watch a pick six podcast and we'll have future video capabilities for other shows as well, go to CBS sports or youtube.com, excuse me, slash CBS sports. Let's dive right in and look back on week one. Brady, I know that you are, uh, you're a forward thinking man. You're somebody with grand visions, uh, an ability to see, you know, down the field, if you will. And you're looking at 2020. You got five teams here that you think stink to join up. Uh, the first was pretty obvious. It's in your backyard. Uh, give me, give me your top, you know, your, your number one team that's looking ahead to 2020. Oh, Miami Dolphins. I mean, look, yeah. the, the players are trying to get out of there. It, it seems like based on the, the coaching during the game, not wanting to adjust and is continually leaving everyone out there isolated. While Lamar Jackson just dropped off bombs to Hollywood Brown, it, it seems like that even the coaching staff at this point is just trying to move on to 2020. So the Miami Dolphins are number one, the first team that probably after the first, maybe second quarter was like, yep, we're on to 2020. Yeah, hey, Brady, let me. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, 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 Brady. Oh, sorry. I was going to ask Brady real quick. So Armando Salguero wrote about this in the Miami Herald, I think on, on Tuesday. And he said that the defense, you sort of hinted at this, Refuse to adjust for Hollywood Brown being out there. They refuse to rotate a safety over. If you're a player on the sidelines and you see this lack of ability to change, what what are you thinking in the middle of the game as you're getting the doors blown off? I mean, the NFL is all about adjustments in game. And and people are like, oh, yeah, at halftime you make the adjustments. No, 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 no. In between every drive you make adjustments. You look at what they're doing. You look at what they're presenting you offensively and defensively. You make changes. So – the fact that they, for whatever reason, wanted to stay static, wanted to keep doing what they were doing, told me one of two things. Either they were being resistant to it for the sheer fact that the Baltimore Ravens have a quarterback who can run the football and potentially at any point in time, you know, you could, you could see a triple option play, a zone read play. And so because of that, they had to keep a structure that they feel like could challenge that every single play. That's unfortunately how you have to prepare for the Baltimore Ravens now because of the athleticism of Lamar Jackson and the scheme. You just you don't know at any point in time they could pull that out. And if they're not ready to defend a triple option style play, you could be in some big trouble. You can end up having Lamar Jackson or whoever he pitches it to end up running scot free down the field for an easy score. So that might have been why they were resistant. Outside of that, 
Look, I don't think Brian Flores wants to go 0-16. Um, I think ask, – ask Rod Marinelli, for example, who went 0-16 – uh, with the Detroit Lions or Hugh Jackson, those guys aren't getting another head coaching job again. So, it, I, you know, Brian Flores, I'm sure, wants to win, but at the same time, he does realize that the future probably looks much brighter than what it is right now, and he's probably just trying to get this team to a point where, you know, they can figure out what they have on the roster and they'll worry about the wins and losses come 2020. Uh, what about the? Well, actually, you know what? We're going to skip these two teams in Florida. You really taking a. A, a big one on Florida here because you, you listed three of them. I think all three they teams. They all stank. They all stanky. We'll talk about the Jags more in a minute. Um, there's some injuries we want to discuss with them. The Buccaneers are coming up on Thursday night against the Carolina Panthers. They're six and a half point underdogs. I, I mean, look, they got a decision to make at the end of the year, which, you know, uh, Pete, we're making fun of Pete Brisker earlier. I mean, they, of course, they already know. Do, do the Buccaneers already know about Jameis Winston? Where are we at with this? Because he looks terrible. And my bold prediction, Brady, that we would see more Ryan Griffin and more Blaine Gabbert than Jameis Winston by the end of the year, I feel pretty good on. Well, you might be right. I think they're going to give him a good six, eight games and kind of see where this thing goes. If he doesn't improve his level of play, yeah, there, there's probably a, good, a strong likelihood you see someone else, but they'll be moving on after this year. I think, honestly, regardless, um, if things don't change drastically in the next few weeks, you, they're probably already looking ahead to next year's draft class. And, and that might also be in part because you do have a lot of good prospects. You know, when you're looking at what could potentially be out there with Justin Herbert from Oregon to Otsanga Vailoa, if he decides to leave from Alabama, maybe Jake Fromm, uh, love the kid out of Utah State. I mean, that's just to name a few. There's others. Joe Burrow's had a great year so far. So all these guys could potentially be candidates for you know, being a first-round pick or one of the top quarterbacks taken. And you might be saying, well, there's not that many teams that need quarterbacks. This is only week one, and I think we're, we're starting to shape and form our opinions on really which teams we do feel like will need a quarterback. With Tampa, I would give it another six, eight weeks. At that point in time, they'll probably have a pretty good idea of Jameis Winston in Bruce Arian's system and also if this team's competitive or not or if they're going to be looking towards 2020 to draft a quarterback. Brady, I said it last week when we talked on Tuesday that uh, I had Justin Herbert going in my first mock draft to, to Tampa Bay. My next mock draft comes out tomorrow, and a uh, little spoiler alert, they're going to be taking a quarterback uh, in the first <laughs> round of the second mock draft. Also, I want to ask you about this, and I was shocked by this list, this team that, uh, on the list most recently here. The Indianapolis Colts, who I thought went to the soccer stadium in Carson, California, played extremely well. I was extremely impressed with Jacoby Brissett, but you think it might be done cakes for them already? Well, it's not necessarily done cakes for him already, but I, I think when Andrew Luck probably surprised him, at least that's what they're saying, you know, externally. I don't know what the internal conversations were, but once they made that decision, I think they looked to do kind of some damage control. And that's one of the reasons why they extended Jacoby Brissett so they could have control over him after this year. So he wouldn't be able to bend him over a barrel if he played really well this year and then all of a sudden be able to hit the free agent market. So because of that, I, I do think that when Andrew Luck made that decision, they're looking at 2020 probably to reevaluate where they're at because if they will be one of those teams with a really bad record that is in striking distance of Tua, of Justin Herbert, or whoever else comes along, I think they'd be willing to take it. And and again, they might find themselves to be that organization that just so happens to fall into Peyton Manning, then Andrew Luck, who may be one of the greatest prospects we've seen, and then potentially some other solid prospects in Justin Herbert and Tua Tonga-Vailoa. 
What are, the slap in the face? I'm gonna have to disagree with you here. First of all, it's a slap in the face, an unbiased slap in the face. Well, unbiased, why is it unbiased? Where, where, where'd you come for set play college ball? Unbiased, it's an unbiased retort. Here is what it is, Brady. Look at him covering up, up the helmet. Look at him covering it up. Philip Rivers doll. That's not a Philip Rivers doll behind me. Uh, no, look. Uh, here, here's the thing. I, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you on the idea that if the Colts are bad, they could, they could pardon the pun, luck into another great quarterback. And I actually think that is, you know, that's a reasonable opportunity, especially if some of these, let's say that you get Tua and Herbert and, uh, and Love and, and, and Fields, all these guys come out. Let's say somebody falls to him from, you know, whoever else it is. Let's say somebody comes to them, you know, in the middle of the, in the middle of the draft. I don't mind that, but I really think that Jacoby Brissett looked pretty good in week one. I thought he, I thought he, Look, I thought he put out a pretty good showing against the freaking Chargers. He, he did. Yards, but he flashed. Come on. Give he my man did. Some he did. I'm not taking anything away from I like Jacoby Brissett. I'm just creating the reality for you. Like Deshaun Watson played really well too in week one. They didn't win. The Texans lost. So they're 0-1. Like your quarterback can still play at a high level. And you could still have to say, well, we're kind of unsure, so let's go into the draft because it's still going to be a cheaper option. And they might be drafting in that spot, which is unfortunate for them. I Look, I, I could be wrong, but I'm just telling you, I think with the way this whole decision went down and the surprise for the Colts with luck and then looking at the rest of their schedule, to me it's no, going to be hard for them not to be in striking distance of taking one of these quarterbacks next year. Yeah, I mean, look, if they go nine and seven and win the division or nine and seven and finishes a wild card or miss just outside the playoffs, I, I think it's a different story, but you're right. It's not cool. an easy schedule. Tennessee, Let me ask you Tennessee, this. But the, the division is kind of open. I mean, Deshaun Watson's not playing 16 games. Come on, please. No, I, I mean, he's tougher than you think. He's tougher than you think, but I'll ask both of you guys this question. Who's the one team that we've seen in recent history that if you could say tanked for a quarterback or I'll just say, I'll put it this way, sucked for a quarterback, which team would that have been? Uh, the 2011 Indianapolis Colts. Jim Mercy has no shame. He has no shame. Chris so Ballard. They're the right one here. team that we can say, like, we're pretty all, we're all pretty sure they've done this before. I'm not saying they're trying to do this because I think Frank Reich's a different coach. The team's in a better spot. But if they start getting to a certain point, I don't know. I could see some guys going on IR early. Maybe some things happen where they put themselves in position once again to take a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Jacoby Brissett completed 77% of his passes. You know how many times Andrew Luck did that last year? Zero. Twice. Twice? Okay. Twice. So he did it twice. So first, that's a good precedent. And number two, and Brenson may back off this train now, but he was on it uh, 12 hours ago. I still think the Colts are going to win the division. Oh, no. I'm, no. I'm there. They win it at 9-7, and seven and I cashed my Colts under 9.5 oh. and, and my division winner bet. And it's a dance party. If they, if they finish second place in the division at 10-6, and six, I'm going to witness protection program. Um <laughs> The uh I look at those injuries. I mentioned Nick Foles. What injury concerns you more from the Chiefs Jaguars game, Brady? Nick Foles and his broken collarbone, which obviously sidelines him uh for a lengthy amount of time, but does put your boy, your man, Gardner Minshew, I believe you called him in the Apple Cup last year last year, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Uh or uh or uh, yeah, I listen to you, Brady, it's cool. Uh or Tyreek Hill, who has a ster- sternoclavicular joint injury, he said barely able to read off the paper, and is expected to miss seven to eight weeks. Which one's a bigger deal? Well, the obvious one is Nick Foles, right? Because even if he comes back, you don't know what he's gonna be able to come back to in what condition, right? Just because it's not, it's not throwing shoulder doesn't mean it's not going to impact his biomechanics or even, you know, as a quarterback, when you, when you get hit or when you're trying to fall, you, you just try to spin to that off shoulder. You know, will he be able to withstand that? 
when he is cleared to come back. Um, that would obviously is going to be a concern moving forward. So the obvious one is Foles, but you know, you guys sound like you're, you have more faith in the Colts anyway to win that division. So I'm not sure how, how that's going to impact it. And I watched Gardner Minshew. I think anyone who watched him in college, at least his last year at Washington State, knows that he's accurate, knows that he's a smart football player. And look, he was phenomenal. I believe he only had three incompletions, which if you go back and watch the tape, those three incompletions were all drops. He really should have been on 100% passing. I've got faith in them being able to help him with the run game. This defense really is the thing that needs to improve. But I think he can get the job done, and I think he can be very serviceable. So I actually think Tyreek Hill and his potential absence could be more crucial to the Kansas City Chiefs in the grand scheme of things, meaning where they position themselves for the playoffs than maybe Nick Foles being out. Because I think, look, they weren't my pick to win the division. It was the Colts before Andrew Luck um, decided he was going to retire. Then it became the Houston Texans. So that being said, like they weren't really my favorite to get into it anyway. And so I, I think, again, it, it affects the Chiefs more long-term than it does the Jaguars, at least looking at it right now. Can, 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 we, can we just really quickly run through this, like, this gauntlet of America, Americana that, that Gardner Minshew, like, encompasses. First of all, he, he's from Flowood, Mississippi. Uh, he went to East, East Carolina, Greenville, North Carolina. Whoa, whoa, for whoa, whoa, back up. You're not even doing him justice. He actually out of college went to Troy. He couldn't beat oh, out a guy named Brandon better. Silvers. So then from Troy, he ended up transferring. I believe he went to Juco. Then he went to ECU and that was where he couldn't get that starting job. And then he went to Washington State, which is not like Americana until you inject Mike Leach, jorts, and a big mustache. And now he plays in Jacksonville, which is basically just the southern point of Georgia. So I talked you to missed- Mike Leach about all this. Where did we miss him? And- yeah, he was at Al- he went to Al- he had a chance to go to Alabama after ECU to sit behind Tua and Jalen and be a a, 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 a a graduate assistant. And then Mike Leach called, and and then he talked to Brady. Yeah, well. So when we spoke to Coach Leach, you know, we'd asked him, Hey, how do you, how do you recruit him to come out to Pullman? You know, there's this kid from the South who's got this great mustache. And he goes, Well, I, I just merely called him up and said, Hey, do you want to lead the, the country in passing? And you know, what do you want to do after you're done playing football and all that? And they had a long conversation, but you know, you know, he said, the funny thing is right when I asked him about lead the country in passing, Gardner Minshew goes, Hell yeah. And he goes, what he doesn't realize is he goes, I tell, I ask every recruit that because that pitch always works. So. Um, it was just kind of funny hearing it from Mike Leach only because it's such a Mike Leach thing to say. Like the one thing that they're going to be able to do at Washington State is throw the football like every play. And that was what obviously sealed Minshew going to Washington State. Uh, Ryan, is there another injury out there that concerns you in the grand landscape of the NFL outside of these two? Cause uh, I would have tried. Well, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to keep you away from talking about Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins and the fact that like three weeks ago, I said Devontae Parker would have more receiving yards than Sammy Watkins this season, which a week into the season sounds incredibly stupid and dumb. And I don't want to keep talking about. I won't mention that. And I will, I'll let Brady address that at his, at his leisure. I just want to say one more thing about, uh, Gardner, uh, 4,500 passing yards, 38 touchdowns. So Mike Leach kept his promise. And, uh, Mike Leach also had a fantastic comment about when the scouts kept calling him, uh, leading up to the draft about the, the type of player that Gardner was. And, uh, they said, how tall is he? And, and Mike said, he's as tall as the guy who leads the, set the, uh, NFL passing record. And that'd be Drew Brees. He had a little Drew Brees in his game last week. I'm not going to go that far and say he's Drew Brees, but I was impressed with what he did. So good for him. He's, Better than Blake Bortles. He's probably a little less better than Nick Foles. The other injury that bothers me, though, and bothers me a whole lot, is uh, Chris Lindstrom, uh, Chris Lindstrom, excuse me, the first-round pick, the guard for the Falcons. 
Uh, Matt Ryan took a whooping in that game against the Vikings. Uh, Lindstrom got hurt, hurt his foot. He's on IR. He may come back. We don't know yet. Uh, their right tackle, Caleb McGarry, who they also trade up and get in the first round, uh, didn't play the entire game. He's coming back from a heart, concern, uh, heart issue. So that's a concern. And I like this team a lot coming into the season, but if they're not protecting Matt Ryan, it, it doesn't matter who they draft or, you know, whether they're healthy or not, because it, it's going to be, that season's going to be over before it starts. I think, uh, two other injuries that are worth noting from the NFC East. Uh, I would say that Malik Jackson, who is, appears to be out for the season, caught a significant injury, wouldn't even talk to report, like, was talking to teammates and, and, like, saw some reporters per Mike Girafalo of NFL Media, saw these reporters and, like, walked away, uh, basically because he didn't want to mention it. Uh, that's a big injury. That's a lot of depth on the defensive line. I mean, that was a big free agent signing for, for the Philadelphia Eagles this offseason. And then, uh, you know, Brady, I would also say that Darius Geis, who now has a meniscus issue in his other knee. The Redskins, uh, per a report, are, uh, I think, Kareem Copeland, maybe of the AP or the Washington Post. He reported that um, they're trying to decide whether they want to bring him back next week or give him like three or four weeks. Why would you bring a guy who has a meniscus injury that he suffered in the first game back from his ACL injury uh, back within two weeks? Like, what what are we doing here, Washington? Just This is a, this is a guy you drafted high as a running back. Sit him down for a couple of weeks. Your team stinks. Don't stop burying people's knees. Maybe Trent Williams has something to say about that uh, based on the medical advice that Darius Geis is getting. Isn't that why he's not there right now in Washington, if I'm not mistaken? So um, one other one, Eric Weddle's on this. I know he's in the concussion protocol. We'll kind of see. Yeah. He took a nasty hit. Um, Dude, that but- was – that was. I've never seen anything like that. He took uh, Christian McCaffrey's leg and knee and cleat to his helmet. And they pulled his helmet off, and he was pouring blood everywhere for about five minutes on the sideline. It was crazy. Dude, I don't know if it was coming out of his ears or what. It was obviously yeah. concerning anytime you see a head, head injury like that. But the other thing is, Weddle wears the green dot. For people that knows that don't understand what that means is, that means the defensive coordinator, he communicates the defense into him. So until he gets back, and look, he's played in the league for a long time. I'm sure he's experienced other concussions as well. And once you experience one, you're more susceptible to experiencing another one later on that season. That could be a big deal. If you've got a guy who's kind of the quarterback of your defense wearing that green dot, that's no longer out there. So something to keep an eye on moving forward. Well, Really quickly on that, and not to linger on the the Weddle thing, but I am curious because I was – Kind of going back and forth. I think one of the, one of the bigger games this weekend, obviously, two of the top teams from the NFC last year were the two top teams, the Saints and the Rams are playing in LA. How much would you downgrade the Rams defense if they lose Eric Weddle? Presumably he's not playing this week. So Wade Phillips won't be talking to him and he's going up against Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara and Sean Payton. How big of a loss is that, Brady? To me, it's a pretty big loss. I mean, I think when you look at one, the fact he's a ball hawk. So if you're looking at a, you know, trying to have more of a, a ball control offense, not wanting to limit that sort of thing. Um, he plays a huge factor there, but I think just overall, if I'm Sean Payton and I'm on a short week, but I've got a, a pretty experienced group, a lot of guys returning from the team the past few years, I feel like I can do a bunch of stuff pre-snap to throw them off, right? So I might shift, I might motion, I might give them some different formations with some personnel groupings that um, they're not accustomed to seeing, or at least from our last matchup, they weren't accustomed to seeing and see if they can adjust because they don't have that quarterback out there. Whoever is going to be, he's not going to be able to get them in the right spot like Weddle can. So um, that, you know, look, I'm going to go out and just say, I don't think he's going to play this week. Um, and, you know, furthermore, I just think it, it's going to be a tough adjustment for them to make some of those in-game adjustments or even make some of those changes they need to at the line of scrimmage or at the snap of the football. I might love the Saints all of a sudden at uh, plus two and a half and that over as well. I think that you'll see the Saints – the Rams and the Panthers should have scored 
60 plus points. I mean, there's just fumbles all over the place. Some bad stuff happened. Um, I would, I would be looking at that over and, and the Saints getting plus two and a half. Let's do some quarterback grades. Man, I need it more than I need an ice cold beer. Uh, Brady, tell me what you thought about Kyler Murray and your boy, Cliff Kingsbury, unleashing hell on the NFL with the air raid and a hundred yards of offense through three quarters. It was bad. I think the only, the only thing, the only thing you could say is it got better as the game wore on, right? Like when they needed it the most, uh, whether or not you want to make the case that Detroit kind of let Arizona back in the door, uh, with Bevel calling a untimely timeout. Um, you know, God, it's neither here nor there. No, it was, it was Patricia who called it, right? Was it Bevel or Patricia? Patricia? Uh, I can't remember. It might, have, it might have been Patricia. I thought it was Bevel, but either way, because I mean, it looked you, like, it looked like Stafford. Be? Well, Stafford was frustrated. You know, he was frustrated. You could see him on the sideline saying, trust me, trust me, because he wants them to understand he's going to do what they want him to do with the football. I've been there before. I've been there before where, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I was getting, I remember we're planning actually against the, the Chargers, San Diego Chargers at the time, and we're trying to make a comeback, right? Your boy, Phillip Rivers, had gone up, I don't know how much on our defense, and I was literally about to check to a shovel pass. We got a great look for it, and I was like, this is going to hit. They were in two wide, three techniques. They had a light box. And I knew we could hit home with it. And we had talked about potentially doing that. And so, of course, we waste the timeout. When you're down in the fourth quarter, you can't waste those. Those are pivotal. And, and so I'm, I'm going over the sideline. I'm like, look, I got it. Just trust me. Let me run the play. Trust me to get us in the right you know, right play for the right look. Sure enough, shovel pass, touchdown. We ended up not being able to come back in the game and win. But it's frustrating as a quarterback when you have a coach or an offensive coordinator, whoever, whatever the case may be, especially for Matt Stafford. He's played for a long time put up a lot of points, he's a smart player who can get them in the right decision and they don't trust him in those situations. So, you know, ultimately, it cost them a W probably. I think it's easy to say that considering the outcome of the game ended up being a tie. But back to Kyler Murray, look, he looked as good as he could have looked when he needed to. And I think the biggest thing for him is not to judge him by the first three quarters or even the fourth quarter in his first game. I think it's, let's see him for a few weeks to see what they're going to be. He doesn't have a lot of help. This isn't a very good team. When they had to rely on someone, they had to rely on Larry Fitzgerald. And unfortunately for this team, they're not going to be able to do that for that much longer. Uh, so, Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. I was going to ask uh, Brady, number one, and this is something I've been preaching to myself and to Brinson as well. After one week of game, game, you really can't overreact too high or too low. So I'm trying to be trying to moderate my, my opinions on, on some of these guys. But some of them blown, have blown me out of the water. That said, what is your actual grade, if you have to give a Prisco grade, for, for Kyler's performance? Because I feel like the first three quarters uh, would be D for doo-doo and then maybe a lot better in the fourth. <laughs> but what do you think? I mean, I would say you're probably giving him a D or an F, really, in the first three. And then fourth quarter, more of an A. So maybe that averages out to a C. I mean, at the end of the day, he did make enough plays and do enough to get his team in position to win that football game. If not for a a potential dropped interception, they would have been lined up for a field goal to kick in overtime to win it. So uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out that way for them. But um, I I think you give him a C, and it's – you know, you're being lenient because he is a rookie. It's his first start, uh, and actually, you know, putting together a game plan where you're trying to, you know, make changes throughout the course of the game and all that. Unlike preseason where you, you know, kind of slap something together, go out there, run a few plays, and then you're hanging out on the bench the rest of the time. It, it did feel like at least Kyler and Cliff got a little more comfortable. Like, and, and like, I, I totally think Cliff accidentally 
like lulled Patricia to sleep with those field goals. He's like, he's basically like waving a white flag. Patricia's like, all right, cool. Let's get out of here. Run the ball a couple of times. And something like, just kidding. We got you air raid suckers. Um, but maybe that's, maybe that's how the offense works. I, I do. I was surprised. And, uh, Heath Cummings and I were tweeting about this, uh, earlier this week. The Cardinals Ravens, uh, over under opened at 42, which is, really low and it's shot up to like 47 or 47 and a half now uh i'm curious do you think that kyler will be able to roll that fourth quarter into a full game against what should be a better defense or at least an equal defense in the ravens i don't know i think the ravens are pretty tough up front you know for a team that lost so much um over the course of the offseason's transition they looked pretty darn good granted it was the dolphins and they're just pitiful at this point but um, you know, I'm kind of expecting them to have their way with, with the Cardinals offensive line, which isn't necessarily a great group. Um, although as far as the scoring in this game, I will be curious to see if either quarterback has, uh, whether it's Murray's fourth quarter or Lamar Jackson's entire game, that sort of impact. I actually do think it's going to be more of a low scoring affair, uh, where we may be seeing them trading a lot of punts, um, a lot of Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson scrambling around trying to make a play, uh, maybe some turnovers, some fumbles involved, but I don't see this one being a high scoring game. All right, Brady, two questions. Who's in a better situation? And I can't believe I'm even asking this question, given how the last season played out. Kyler Murray or Matthew Stafford? And then number two, I want to move on to Carson Wentz and get your thoughts on his performance against the Redskins, which was overshadowed early on by Case Keenum somehow going off. <laughs> Case Keenum got off to a hot start, man. Uh, they were yeah. rolling. Um, yeah, I think if – I mean, Kyler Murray, just from the sense that he's the number one overall pick, they brought, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury and him are the, the match made in heaven, whether it's for a year or two years, whatever it is, they've got some time together, uh, and hopefully they see the future and they want to build around him. So I think he's in a really, really good spot. For Matt Stafford, if they don't improve this year, maybe that's one of those quarterbacks that we see moving around a little bit, only because maybe they're going to start looking at the draft next year. Matt Patricia wants his own guy, not someone he inherited, and he's already in a year with a, with a new offensive system. So uh, I actually, I mean, I, I like the prospects of Detroit winning more football games, Matt Stafford probably playing better this year, but I think in the long term, if you're looking at like who's in a better scenario as far as staying put where they're at, I mean, you probably have to give the edge to Kyler Murray uh, only because this whole thing is built around him, his skill set, uh, at least for, for the time being with Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, so what about Wentz? Give me a grade for Carson Wentz. And I agree with you, by the way, with Matthew Stafford's contract. Um, probably not getting out of it next year unless it's no. a... Uh, post June one, they could actually would be do a traded push. anyway. I mean, I just, I, I, I find it hard to believe they wouldn't find a trade partner to get something to recoup back for him. Uh, and, and again, his, his, the value of his contract is going to look, you know, a little more economical here after a year or two when we start watching guys like Dak Prescott, uh, cash in. So, well, they um, would, they would say if they trade, if they traded him like, let's say at the start of the league year or at the combine. Uh, well, actually it should be the start of the league year. I guess it would be official, but it would be, they'd save $11.5 million on in cap savings and have $20 million in dead cap space. But, uh, to, to Wentz, who, by if the way, cut him or traded him? If they trade him, if they trade him, they would have the, a, a pre June 1st trade. So think start of the league, league year, if you will. You know, they can, uh, they can negotiate all that too, but yeah. What do you mean? They can negotiate all that. Well, they can figure out who's going to actually pay them. It's, you know, certain bonuses yeah, like that with yeah. contract. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just saying they're, they would have, they would save $11.5 million in cap space by trading them. That's not, that's not nothing. Um, no. and if they were, if they were a bad team and they finished like five and 11, they could trade Matthew Stafford, draft a quarterback and move on. Uh, give me your grade for Carson Wentz. Maybe it's oh, similar. A. 
right. Look, okay. All right. Third down when you've when you're carrying your team like he did and playing as as efficient as he did on third down. I mean that's that's really what the NFL is all about. I mean that's the money down. I mean what you always talk about that you hear people talk about it for defenses for secondaries. It's about them getting their interceptions and them trying to get off the field so they can make their money once that the new contract comes up. For quarterbacks, it's about staying on the field and converting and. A lot of times, you know, the pressure's on you to do so. So I, I thought Wentz was great, uh, in particular coming back in this game, but the way he played on third down in particular, uh, to me was huge. I mean, three touchdowns. I believe he only had like one incompletion or something like that, but they call it the money down for a reason. He was absolutely money. Speaking so, of money, yeah. I was going to say, speaking of money, uh, the expectation was in Cleveland that Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, Odell Beckham's watch would all be, would all show up for that week one game. None of them did. Marcus Mariota showed up. Um, I thought he played extremely well, not as well as Wentz, not even as well as Gardner Minshew for being looking so late at the stats, but he helped dominate against that Browns team, especially in the second half. What do you think about Mariota's performance in a really important year for him where he's making $20.9 million? Yeah, look, the pressure's on. He's got to show out this year. I thought he, he played well. Um, surprisingly, you know, better than what I thought he would have, uh, how he would have performed. So, um, you gotta give credit to him. You gotta hope that he keeps it up. I mean, again, we don't want to overreact after week one. The NFL has, you know, the tendency to kind of do that to us sometimes. We always see some surprising things week one. Um, uh, but this is something that you, you just hope Marcus Mariota continues to play at this high of a level the rest of the year. I don't know that things are going to be that easy. Um, you know, it helps when you can throw a screen to, you know, Derrick Henry for 75 yards for a touchdown that inflates some of those stats a little bit, right? You take that out of the equation. Now you're looking at 175 yards passing. Uh, on, on 13 completions and, and two touchdowns. A little bit different story when that's the case. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see as the rest of the year goes on. This is obviously a huge year for him and for that organization to make a decision. So Brady, let me ask you, I sort of joked about it a second ago with Odo Beckham. On what planet does it make sense for a wide receiver to show up wearing a $350,000 watch and wear it in a game and then be sort of surprised that he gets called out about it afterwards? I have no idea, man. I, I can't understand. You know, the, the Odell Beckham watch, the Antonio Brown consulting with social media people to try to get released from the team. That's the day and age we're living in now. I mean, and it's hard for me to understand because I went to school at a time and, and you guys are older than me. So you guys, you know, weren't even at that point in time in your lives. But when social media seems came a, out, seems, it seems unfair and rude, but fine. Yes, it's fair. Right. It's but true. now you've got a bunch of toughies to drink. So you'll be all right. <laughs> Those are go down smooth. Um, but you know, you like looked at the Facebook and you're like, why the hell would I want people to know where I'm doing what I'm doing? You know, right, yeah. camera phones, all that, all that sort of thing. It just, it never made any sense. These players have been able to, um, you know, create a brand that is themselves. People would talk about that before when they're like, Oh no, you're your own brand. And you're like, yeah, if you're Michael Jordan, you're your own brand, right? If back then, if you were one of the most iconic figures in sports, yeah, you could be considered a brand. Nowadays, I mean, you just have to have relevancy and you have to be able to, you know, just have enough star power. As long as you got enough followers and you got enough people who, you know, will be able to pump you up on social media, you can make a lot of money off of that. And I think that's one thing now where it, it's, it's kind of hard because even though the team is what matters most, coaches probably have a hard time preaching these guys to fall in line because they want to do this or that. That's going to get them paid off the field as well. Maybe sometimes almost is what they're getting paid on the field, depending on where they're at with their contracts. So it's hard to understand. I don't really get it. 
I'll be curious to see how Freddie Kitchens handles it because he kind of acts cool to the media, like they've got their own thing going on on the inside. They don't have much to worry about. But as undisciplined as they were, so many penalties, the watch thing with Odell Beckham, not seeing the strides you'd hope to see from Baker Mayfield throwing three picks, that was probably the biggest complaint you had of, had out of him last year with so many interceptions. Um, you should be concerned if you're a Cleveland fan. I, I am a Cleveland fan, and I, I'm concerned because I thought they'd win 10 games this year. This is one I thought they wouldn't, they didn't. So, and look, it sounds like OBJ is going to keep wearing the watch for whatever reason because it's plastic. I just, I don't really get the point of it. I don't get why it matters. What? Well, just take off the watch, Odell. Look, like, here, here's the deal. Everyone is asking why you're wearing a watch and why you're violating league rules. And then you say you want to make it, like, I'm going to make it, keep it about football. I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about football. Well, here, you know what? You, you have two choices. You either go do another freaking GQ spread and talk about the watch, or just take the bleeping watch off and go play football and be a blue-collar Cleveland guy and quit making it about yourself. This is why everyone thought Cleveland might stink, because the egos are too big. They don't have a good offensive line. They got a first year head coach with too many nut jobs there and it's going to go off the rails i called it i'm sorry it's happening brady i've got something for odell beckham take off the watch put on a hard hat all right it'd be greatly appreciated there in cleveland all right yeah and here's the other thing look coming from a slow guy i would not want to have to wear anything extra than i already had to wear i wanted to be as light and as felt as possible so when i had to run i I could go that's why i was like i could never wear a watch when i played It, it would weigh me down too much Speaking of watches, I'm being told that we're past our time for taking a break. So we're going to take a quick break, then we'll come back and do some more podcasting. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Pick 6 Podcast Video Edition. We are live on YouTube.com slash CBS Sports if you're watching us or, you know, maybe recorded on YouTube.com slash CBS Sports. Either way, if you're listening to the podcast, and I said welcome back to the podcast, you're probably confused, but you can go to YouTube.com slash CBS Sports and look at the handsome face of Brady Quinn, the beautiful glowing mane of Ryan Wilson, and uh, you can check out my hair too. Anyway, I want to talk about swoop that it is. Yeah, it's it's uh, very swoopy today. It's been I've been accosted by a, a small child all day. I don't know if you know this. I have a five year old. Um, the uh, <laughs> so um, 
Pete Prisco, speaking of, speaking of people who have the mentality of a five-year-old, Pete Prisco does power rankings every week for CBSSports.com. He's been doing them since actually Ryan Wilson was five years old. And, um, you know, as Pete does, he moves, moves teams around. He over, he's like, you, you don't overreact to week one. You can't do it. You've got to be, I've been doing this a long time. You don't overreact to week one. And then he immediately moves the Titans up, uh, 72 spots in the power rankings all the way, all the way up to number 12. I can promise you Pete didn't have them there before the Browns down to 17. And a big uh, drop. Pan- he dumped the Panthers down there. Um, you know, it's 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 uh it's pretty obvious when you look at Pete's rankings that he's high on the Patriots and Packers, right? Like he, the Packers were his number one preseason team. They won, so I get it. Um, but you know, Pete sticks to his guns for a little while, but he gets he gets a little flinchy when it comes to like the Ravens. He hates Lamar Jackson. He bumped them up to ten. Um, look into those nine and ten, Brady, and feel free to lash at Pete here. Uh. Whose offense were you more impressed with? The Dallas Cowboys with Kellen Moore's like unbelievable first first ever Cowboys perfect passer rating for Dak Prescott throwing downfield, or Lamar Jackson unleashing absolute hell on uh, on Miami and the and the helpless Dolphins down there? It was like that uh <laughs> like that like that scene from the is it Simpsons is it the Simpsons where they they fight the Dolphins and the Dolphins get slaughtered? Uh, that's what it felt like down. In Miami. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been able to watch that many Simpsons episodes in my adult life, Brinson. But um, to me, it was some the Cowboys. Us, some of us weren't busy playing football. We had to, we got to enjoy ourselves in college with. Yeah, I bet yeah. you did. That a doobie. All right. Um, <laughs> oh, the Cowboys. The Cowboys moved up a decent amount in these rankings, and, and I think part of it is how impressive their offense looked, how impressive Dak looked. Um, the thing that stood out to me was Kellen seemed to have a really good feel for how to keep Dak in a, in a good flow um, when he was out there. I mean, really spreading the football around. But, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, multiple times guys running wide open. And, it, and a lot of times it was off as play action pass, which is something that helps out every quarterback. I don't care who it is. If you start looking at the completion percentage for quarterbacks off play action pass, it's usually going to be the, the better than drop back or better than anything else they do because it provides an element of space. You're, you're basically getting the linebackers to suck up and obviously the, the secondary players are back enough where there's going to be a void in the defense where you should be able to find some soft spots. So Kellen Moore did a tremendous job of that, mixing looks, mixing personnels, helping to keep Dak Prescott in a rhythm and really, you know, keeping the Giants uh, on their heels. It just, you never felt like they were going to really be able to have a chance in that game, uh, at least in my opinion. And, and I give them the edge too, because even though it wasn't necessarily as, uh, prolific, they, they are going up against a divisional opponent. I do think the Giants are a better team than the Dolphins. So for that reason, gave them the edge, but that, that shouldn't take anything away from what Lamar Jackson did. It was incredible. It was a step in the right direction for what we want to see. I just want to see it versus a better football team. So, uh, Brady, you look down a little further that list. 14, 15, 16, Steelers, Bears, Bills. Uh, we know that Pete loves Josh Allen more than he loves the Atlanta Falcons and Jaguars combined. How do you feel about Josh Allen? How do you feel about them being in the middle of the pack? And what does this mean for the Bears and Steelers who are just ahead of them? Look, this is a good young roster. Uh, I think in the middle of the pack is probably about where they should be right now. Uh, maybe to be quite honest with you, a little bit high. Uh, and for the reason, this reason being, you know, they were not in this football game. Once CJ Mosley went out, you really could see a difference in that Jets defense. Um, and, and you can make the case that there are some, you know, questionable decisions by Sam Darnold in that game too that didn't help out. So, um, I, I may say the Jets gave away that game just as much as I would say the Bills won that game. But, you know, Josh Allen did what he needed to do at the end of the game to give them a chance. Um, and, and he, and he played well. It played tough. Um, and that's part of his repertoire and part of his game. 
he's going to have to improve his accuracy and his ability to throw from the pocket. This is year two. It's the same offense he was in last year with Brian Dable, and they've given him some more pieces that I do think are helping, but he's got to become more accurate. He's got to even at times too find a bit more touch. You know, he's throwing some fastballs to guys who are sometimes within 10 yards, and he's got to figure out a way of taking a little bit off that to make it an easier catch. But overall, I think that's about where they should be. Um, but they're going to continue to climb if Josh Allen continues to improve. Speaking of a climber, uh, the Texans rose and, uh, we saw the, you know, the Texans, I mean, excuse me, the Titans the, rose. The Texans, a- the Texans are better than, than, than the Bills, for example. Like the Texans are a good football team. I know they lost to the Saints and Sean Watson hit a bunch, but I don't know how you guys felt about that game. I just, I think watching, I was like, all right, that's the team I think is going to win the AFC South. That's going to be a playoff team with the way they were able to, you know, make some things happen. Dan, I know everyone's going to judge them based on the win or loss, but still, that's yeah, a good football team. Brady, Maybe a bad defense. Not, not a stat, so not a, it's not a stat. That's true. Hey, hey, Brady, what about this though? What if Sean McDermott were coaching in Houston? Because I feel like a big problem for Deshaun Watson is Bill O'Brien. I mean, you could say it from one aspect, but their offense was was pretty good yesterday. I mean, both running the football and all that. I mean, he took Tunsil, a ton of hits, though, Brady. Tun, yeah, but Tunsil will get better. I mean, let's not forget too. That's one of the better defensive fronts they're going to go against on the road for their first game. Your left tackle doesn't have much time to build chemistry with everyone else. So th- that's that's going to happen. I mean, maybe not sacked and hit as much time as he does, but let's not let Deshaun Watson off the hook either. He holds onto the football a little bit too long at times, so he invites some of those hits. He's going to have to be conscious of getting the football out of his hand if he doesn't want to take those hits. If he wants to buy more time to find you know, a bigger throw downfield or make something happen with his legs, so be it. But there's going to be the, the flip side of that is you're going to take some shots, going to take some hits. There's times when he's got some easier completions that he's not taking right now. Hey, so um, have you ever fallen – I'm sure you know once or twice in your life, Brady, you've fallen short of a goal that you established for yourself. Uh, did you ever – probably maybe no more than twice, though, but I'm sure. Um, have you ever <laughs> – have you ever fallen short of a goal as quickly as DeAndre Hopkins did? Because he said he wasn't going to drop any footballs again this year, and he dropped his first one. So maybe he's terrible. Maybe he's terrible, or is he, or is he the best wide receiver in football? I think he's the best wide receiver in football right now. And now there, there were a couple times, too, where they're not necessarily that catchable to still drop them. But he just seems to make clutch catch after clutch catch versus double coverage versus Barshawn Lattimore or whoever, whatever the best cornerback you've got on your team. It seems like he does it every single time. So – uh, in my opinion right now, I'm giving him the edge over every other wide receiver, in part because we haven't seen Antonio Brown. Julio Jones, I think, has a little bit of competition amongst his own roster sometimes just to get the football, uh, even though he's been very prolific. Um, but outside of that, you know, it's to me, I mean, Michael Thomas is another guy thrown in the conversation, but I still, th- I still see DeAndre Hopkins doing more at times, um, than I do for Michael Thomas, even though he's a, he's a catch machine. I just feel like maybe that's part of the offense and the system that he's in too. By the way, DeAndre Hopkins doesn't drop any balls last night if he's wearing a watch. Uh, Brady, I want to ask you quickly, what do you make of Romeo Cornell, especially in that last play where uh, they ran four guys to the to the yellow line? Three of them were covered pretty well. One was wide open, Ted Ginn, and the result was a 57-yard game-winning field goal. Well, I would have told my cornerbacks um, or all my defensive backs to, to press. I would say play inside leverage and press because with six seconds left, you're really – going against the ability to to be able to run a play, catch the football, get down, call timeout. And so if you're playing press man-to-man, you're going to be able to disrupt that timing in the first place. And then if you have inside leverage, you're basically forcing them to go outside if they want to get open, which is going to be a longer throw. Um, and so all those things lead to a better result for your defense. 
The other thing he did is he rushed two, which I don't really have an issue with. He could have rushed no one for all I care um, because obviously they're going to throw the football in that instance. Uh, and maybe that's something he should have done. Act like they were going to rush and just, you know, drop back out and try to, you know, get into different passing lanes. But he did have three safeties back. I thought that was kind of interesting. I would have probably only put two back. They doubled the, the number three receiver on the one side of the field. I maybe would have tried to double someone else as well with that extra safety and keep two back instead of three. Um, just because look, you don't want to find yourself in the position like, um, you know, they did versus the Minnesota Vikings. They've got one safety back. Marcus Williams, you know, ends up misjudging the football. Next thing you know, you know, you got Stefan Diggs running in the end zone. So you keep an, you know, you keep an extra guy back and that ends up, you know, helping out with that issue. But I don't think you need a third guy. I kind of thought he was wasted back deep where you knew they weren't going to throw the football because they didn't have that much time in order to set themselves up for a field goal. I mean, it is worth mentioning that Will Lutz had to bang home a pretty long field goal. Like you, a 58 yarder. Yeah, Talk, like I it, talked it, to him today. It was the longest in his career, and he said as soon as it left his foot, he, he knew, knew it, was, it was in. Yeah, he knew was, it was good. I was, listening, I was listening to radio shows I do every day uh, during my during my free time when um, I'm not dealing with a child or a dog or. Wait, you have know. a kid? I have a kid, five year old. I did not uh, know that. How old's your kid? Is he five? He's five. You know what? And uh, he's five. And uh, for five long years, he is. Uh, you know, he's felt betrayed by the Carr family, and it's, it had been hadn't been any. It was always been it hadn't been any worse than it was last night on Monday night or two nights ago. Excuse me, on Monday night football, it was actually I guess last yes last morning because it was Tuesday early in the morning when uh, David Carr was ripping the heart and soul out of my Broncos AFC West pick. Maybe the worst pick I've ever made in the history of prognostication. Um, what were your thoughts about Denver uh, Denver Oakland? And do you think this is, is this reality or is it, cause this feels like it could be a skewed result to me. Like Oakland was mad about the AB thing. The fans were pumped up. The players were pumped up and they came out and played well. And I could see him just losing by 63 points to the Chiefs next week. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I talked to Vic Fangio today and, and one of the things he talked about was just the lack of production on third down from their offense. I, I get the sense that there's really no threat deep. I mean, that's what they were lacking. Besides the Emmanuel Sanders deep completion, there was, that was really the only time uh, I can really think of they, they successfully went deep. There weren't many other times they even tried. Um, and, and so that was a little bit bothersome. You know, I kind of thought this would be a team that, you know, ran the football, based things off play action pass, utilized Joe Flacco's big arm. You didn't see that quite as much. Uh, and then defensively, they really neutralized Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. Uh, so you got to give credit to the Raiders. But, you know, overall, I, w- I would be pretty concerned if, if I'm a Broncos fan um, because, you know, there was no life. They seemed lethargic on offense. It seemed like that team didn't have a lot of juice. And on the flip side, the Raiders were excited. You know, they were excited to show everyone what they were without Antonio Brown. And to be quite uh, candid, they don't need him. So um, let's see. Pete has the uh, Broncos at 27. They're, they're actually behind the Cardinals, just ahead of the Raiders Jags. Are, Is that... Raiders are 21. Hmm. High on the Raiders. That sound about right? No. I, I mean, not to me. I, I I think the Denver Broncos will be more competitive in this division than the Oakland Raiders moving forward. You know, I, I think. To bash Prisco. Bury him. Put him in a body I mean, bag. Like, you've been putting him in a body bag. Here's all week the thing is, I, I can't overreact over week one. You got to give me a couple more weeks to kind of look at things and look at these teams and see how things play out. Um, at least the first quarter of the season before I start bashing him. But I, I do think it's a little bit absurd. He's got Denver and Oakland that far apart. I mean, Look, if Deshaun Hamilton catches that ball in the end zone, the game seems closer. You know, Denver had a shot at the end of the game when you kind of felt like they, they shouldn't. Um, and so, look, there's a, 
there's a couple of things that could have went different in that game, and I think it was closer than people realize. And that's you know saying something considering the Broncos really didn't play well. And I thought the Raiders played about as good as they possibly could. They completely stonewalled Von Miller. Uh, they locked down. They they bull rushed Joe Flacco at every turn. Made the Broncos' offensive line look terrible. Maybe it is he bad looked so slow, didn't he? I mean, he just looked like he was like moving around in mud the whole time. He looked like he's, he. He's never been fast. But I'm just like, oof. It it looked like he was disinterested. Like he was disinterestedly slow. You know what I mean? Like in the first half, he was just like, uh, uh, uh. Like you uh, loved, loved him four hours ago. Well, it's 24 hours ago, but yes. Um, I'm still, I thought Flacco looked pretty good in the second half. And again, I, I think if Deshaun Hamilton catches that football, they win that game. Maybe. 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 The one maybe thing not. is, Vic Fangio did say he, he did not regret, uh, kicking off instead of an onside kick at the end. You know, he wanted to rely on his defense to get a stop, but you gotta the give credit to the Raiders. Awful. That was the worst defensive performance by the Broncos in the last, like, five years. It was terrible. That might be a hyperbole. It might be. <laughs> they weren't great. They were not this good. Is not, this they is not hyperbole. This is not hyperbole. The Steelers could be in trouble if they don't get a win. But who needs a win more? Speaking of Vic Fangio, by the way, who needs a win more? The Steelers in week two. I'm trying to think who they play. The Seahawks at home. I remembered it. Or <laughs> the Chicago Bears who go to Denver to play those Vic Fangio led Broncos. The old DC for Chicago. Who needs it more, Brady? I think the Bears. I mean, mm-hmm. For this reason, if they get off to an 0-2 start, we know statistically what the odds are of 0-2 teams making the playoffs. And looking at this division, the Packers look really good. The Vikings look really good. And technically, the Lions are ahead of them. I mean, they got a tie. So there's there's something for that. And I actually think they're probably going to be better than people think. So I just I feel like they can't get off to a slow start for just you know the, digging that hole. It's going to be hard to get out of. And on top of it, they just, they've got a competitive division. And, and, and at some point, they've got to get on a roll. They've got to get Trubisky some confidence, and they've got to improve. So the Steelers play the Seahawks. Princeton mentioned that. They're in Pittsburgh. They're terrible on the road, especially in Gillette Stadium week one. So no level of concern with Pittsburgh because that offense went backwards a lot. And I'm not convinced it's solely Le'Veon Bell and A.B. I think it's mostly Bill Belichick. But still, if they lose this game, come out 0-2, there are going to be a lot of issues going on in Pittsburgh. Oh, no, I'm really concerned with Pittsburgh. I mean – you know, you could talk about rivals, right? Like, you know, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, they're always a rival to try to win the AFC North. A lot of those teams in the AFC North consider themselves rivals. But, like, Pittsburgh's kind of beyond that to some degree, in my opinion, even though Baltimore won the division last year, because I think they look at New England as, you know, those are typically or historically the top two teams, at least in recent history, in the AFC usually. And if they're that far apart from being able to compete uh, with the New England Patriots – this is a bad sign for them moving forward. Like this team is regressing under Mike Tomlin, not moving in the right direction. Um, and I know they lost Brown and, and Bell and that, you know, plays a factor, but still they should be more competitive against the New England Patriots. So either the Patriots are just that good or maybe Mike Tomlin should be worried about, you know, him being looked at like kind of like Mike McCarthy. Like they've got a lot of talent, a lot of good things, but Thanks. they need to make a change at the head coaching position. Uh, even though he's been incredibly successful. He's never experienced a losing season since he's been head coach. Um, so I know it sounds crazy to people, but that with that kind of performance versus New England, if, that, if, they're, if they're that far apart, I would be really concerned if I owned the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, we got to get out of here. This is the Pick 6 Podcast. Thank you to everybody for listening. And uh, 
and also for watching. Remember, you can watch it on CBSSports.com or, you, God dang it, YouTube.com slash CBS Sports. Ryan Wilson, Brady Quinn, I'm Will Brinson. Always fun, guys. Mm-hmm.